0: want to invite you to grab a Bible, if you have one, or we have the passage printed for you and open to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30, which is a rather interesting passage we have to look at this morning. It's the kind of thing you probably would just pass over if you're reading through these letters, uh, through this letter. And essentially, it contains Paul's travel plans. He's naming people by name, Um, He names both Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus as telling them what's going on with them and when they're going to come and visit them. And we might want to ask, like, why is this really important for it to be in the Bible? If God was going to encapsulate his word, why would it include uh, seemingly mundane details like this? Uh, Why do we need to know this? So I do want to take just a moment to even say that, um, you know, when we read the Bible, it is on the one hand, it is a thoroughly and wonderfully human document. We see human footprint, uh, not footprints, fingerprints uh, throughout the whole thing. Um, we see people's personalities. Uh, we are really overlooking personal correspondences uh, that were written by real people to real people in real situations. Um, they're using every way uh, to write that our authors do. Uh, they're using language in customary ways, customary techniques, and those kinds of things. And so when we're reading it and trying to discern why it's here and given to us, it's really important that we notice the humanity of it. That uh, it's both relatable to us, and it also gives us a clue to how to interpret it, that we need to do the best we can to understand what the intention of the author was and uh, what the circumstance that they, he was speaking into But that being said, on the one hand, then that might lead us to ask, does that mean that this is just a human document? And we would have to say no, far from that. Uh, And that, you know, throughout the whole Bible, there are instances where even those writing it, um, that they see them, that these words as God's very words um, themselves, that it is God who is speaking. The New Testament refers to the Old Testament Uh, as God's very words. um, You know, you have verses like 2 Timothy 3.16 that says it's all inspired by the Spirit, uh, that every bit of it to the last detail um, is like God's very breath coming out of His mouth um, to us. And so at the same time, um, we get a chance to observe here how the Bible is both wonderfully relatable and wonderfully human, and yet at the same time, It is also 100% uh, God's Word, that there is not one detail in here that was not produced uh, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's not what this sermon is about, and that's not why I want to talk about the whole time, just to to put uh, that in front of you to uh, consider um, as we are preaching through this letter. Um, this sermon, we're picking up on themes that we have been talking about along, all along. Uh, we looked at it through the lens of selfish ambition last week, and this command to work out our salvation to actually um, um, and giving us a new ambition that we might have for God to form us um, um, to be about His work uh, rather than our own ambitions. And this week, we're going to look at. We have two examples that Paul gives us of selfless service um, and selfless leadership and what that looks like. And so that's what we're going to consider. So let's go to our passage, and I'm going to read it for us, uh, and then we'll jump in. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to go ahead in the very beginning here, let you know uh, where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to start with looking at self-interest, and I'm going to make the point that self-interest undermines trust. And then we're going to go on um, to say what the gospel, how the gospel helps us in our situation of self-interest, our disposition towards self-interest, And then we're going to end uh, by looking at these examples as new opportunities that the gospel gives us um, where we can uh, serve each other from a selfless posture posture rather than a selfish posture. So we're going to start with this idea that self-interest undermines trust. And I want to show you where I'm getting that so uh, we don't think that I'm just making it up and planting it in here. But in verse 20, then you you heard Paul said, speaking of Timothy, that he has no one like him because he will be genuinely concerned for your, the Philippians, welfare. And why would he have to say this? Why would he have to, someone who was actually very known to the Philippian church, why would he want to make this point? Um, And I think that's because we all know that not all concerns are genuine, Uh, Many of them are not genuine, or said a better way, um, we know that each of us are concerned for something, but we are suspicious that we are mostly concerned for our own well-being rather than those of others. And how does this work out? Uh, First of all, we know that um, you can't be totally, it's not in our social interest to be totally self-centered, so we have to be sneaky about it. It's in our self-interest to actually hide our own self-interest and uh, come into community with it a little more covertly. And I wonder if you've had one of these conversations where somebody uh, offers you a criticism, yet it comes uh, carefully wrapped in this word concern. And it sounds something like this. Somebody comes up to you and says, I am concerned about this. I'm concerned that, uh, the way that you are, um, speaking to your kids and, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I understand that you, um, are just, you know, being a a really good mom, but I'm just concerned that other people, what other people are going to think. Um, and, and you've all have received a kind of criticism like this. And when we do, um, it is not all that difficult to see through and see that the real concern was not with other people, but it was that the person had a concern with us. Um, and even in that situation, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, but there are other kinds of concerns that people will write or, or people will give to us, or you might see, receive an email that they're concerned about uh, this, that, or whatever, what we say, uh, what we do. And we know that the person is essentially Uh, Not happy with who we are or what they're doing, and they're offering us a criticism wrapped in this word, concern. It's not a genuine concern. It's a concern for self interest rather than a true concern to love us. And essentially, what that does in community is that when we are, as we are, uh, just like the Philippian church um, here, which Paul says, even around him in Rome and in the Philippian church, that it's like the whole lot of them. They're just concerned with their own interests. It's the same thing with us. And the problem with that is, like these, this illustrates, is that self-interest, actually what it does is it undermines trust. And that we, into it, we begin to see the self-interest in others, and we are, we are unable to trust uh, the motives of where each other is coming from. And the trust of the group is undermined, and it can't stay together. A group that, or a church, any group that doesn't trust each other, it can hardly stay together. And we see this all the time. There are so many examples. We see this in church. Uh, we know that above all else, we like we really have genuine concerns about the church. But it's often that the church would serve our own needs, uh, that it would take up the kind of ministries that we want it to take up. It would go in the direction we want it to take that would serve us or have the kind of culture that we would most jive with and that we are genuinely concerned about that. And what happens is we'll offer criticisms when it's not the case, and then others will offer criticisms of that. And those are, you know, very normal in and of themselves. But what what happens is is that it undermines the trust between. And that is when we would do anything, um, that there are motives that are ascribed to this. Uh, we ask, are these motives genuine? Are these actually um, these ideas or um, are they actually done in the interest of the church or is it just out of self-interest? We don't trust each other and the community and the unity is eroded. it's the same thing with us socially. We'll look at each other and say, because we live here, because we dress like this, because we have these hobbies, we do this, then they must be that kind of person. They must be this kind of person that has these more self-centered motives. Um, They must be doing this out of self-righteousness and not just out of genuine care. Um, And we don't trust each other. Um, And there are so many other ways. I was actually reminded about this uh, in marriage. I was thinking about, um, you know, the patterns where Lauren and I usually will have when we fight. And it's almost never about the words themselves. There's almost always a comment that's made that, you know, you're only saying that because you think this about me or you're only doing that because you had this motive. You only you want this. I know that you really want this out of it, that the things that you're saying, even your apology, that they're not genuine, that your genuine concerns lie elsewhere. And so I have a hard time trusting you. And if you're married, you, or even if you're not married, with any argument you've ever had, that's probably something that is very familiar. Self-interest is one of those things that it is the driver behind the many, many different comments, comments, allegiances, uh, decisions that we make. But it's not that that undermines or that tears a group apart. It comes down to trust. Trust in each other, a group that doesn't trust each other, Cannot stand. And it's not just in the church, it's not just in our friend group, Um, it also extends to our society, as we have seen rather sadly if you've been following the news very recently. And that when there is one group who is determined to keep life crafted a way that they would like, according to their own self interest, uh, to keep neighborhoods looking the way exactly that they want, and at the same time ascribing motives. Uh, to others um, of what they must be up to, um, then tragedy can occur. And of course, I'm speaking of um, what happened in Georgia with the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, uh, which you have been following. And the reason I bring this up and the reason why this is important for us to consider is we see that on the one hand, the public outcry that has come up about this um, has been really helpful and moving sentiment to bring justice. But at the same time, we have to take moments like this and look inside of ourselves. And that the exact same motivations that led to that, even though that was, we might say, we would never do that. We would never even dream of doing what those two men did. But the same seed is in my heart, and is in your heart, and it's in our homes, it's in our houses, it's in our churches. It starts with mistrust over self-interest of each other. And it is one of those things that might often seem benign, but it actually has a drastic potential uh, to create great tragedy. And I think if we approach a very difficult topic like this with an air of smuggery, uh, then we have missed the point. And that speaking out without self-examination is only half the battle of dealing with our self-interest. So, Lord, help us. Where do we go from there? What do we do with ourselves um, when we are a group of people who are consumed by self-interest in one way or another? Visible or small, uh, visible or invisible, great or small. How do we have hope for anything better? And what's interesting about Paul, how he has been approaching these letters, is he has been not short of direct application, saying to do this and do that to follow this example or to follow that example. But the point of this is he is not essentially, he is not only just telling this group of people to get along. He is not just telling them to do better um, and to live a more unified life. He is doing that in a particular way, which we see he hints at in verse 27, um, where he's, uh, he is speaking of... Um, this other group of people, whoever they may be, that they only seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. And the thing that he has been commending throughout this whole letter is that uh, with him and Timothy, his own partners, and even those in the Philippian church, that it's for the sake of Jesus uh, that they would do what they do, for the sake of the spread of the gospel. And why is that important? Um, why is it that, is that not just um, a replacement? Like, can we, can we just you know, turn our hearts away from our self-interest to take up the interests of Christ. But what, how Christ is different, what Christ has done for us is he has reversed, he has entered in to our pattern, hopeless pattern of self-interest, and he has broken the train. And he has done that for us by when we were his enemies. Like Romans 5 actually uses this language that while we were his enemies, when we were in rebellion against him, then he allowed us to take full advantage of him without retaliation, even to his death. Even when we are his enemies, he laid down his life for us so that he could extend us grace before we were right. He enters himself into this thing. He lays down his own life for us in a, in a, a rather remarkable way, and he gives himself to us as a gift not just as an example, but that he could be with us where we are and who we are, that his power could live within us. He both demonstrates that he is trustworthy, that even when we can't trust each other, even when we so struggle to be in unity, that this person, this God has done something that we could never do for us and that he is trustworthy. But not only that, that we are with him and he is with us. He is inside of us and he is working in us And he is calling all things for our sakes, uh, for his good purposes. And so here in what we are given, we are given a better way. We are given the example. We are shown what it takes in order to break the chain of self-interest with humility. But we're also given his love. We are given his love in a way that so that our hearts can open up and that we can actually trust him that whatever the, our interests that we have that we feel are not being met, we're able to offer them to him and know that he is our defender, that people can take advantage of us, and yet he has poured out his life for us. There is nothing that he will not give to his children. He is our refuge, and he is our security wherever we are. But lastly here, not only he does that from other people, but in that security of that love that Jesus has poured out for us on the cross, It allows us to look at ourselves in a way that would never be possible. Um, Someone said to me recently that, you know, one of the things that um, is difficult with criticism is that we wonder. um, There's just that little part of us that we wonder is maybe what they say true. Maybe we are lacking in some way. Maybe they're right. And maybe we not want to consider The motives of our hearts. We cannot even think that we would be the kind of person uh, that would be so self-absorbed. But what Christ allows us to do is to actually turn our eyes into ourselves and see what is really in there, to consider the self-interest that is behind all of our actions, and yet even from that place, to be more loved than we could ever hope or imagine to be. And so you see what Paul has done here before he actually tells us to turn our attention to each other. He first is asking the Philippian church and us to turn our attentions to Christ because Christ is is trustworthy. Christ will be our defender and Christ will love us even at our worst. And if that's true, if we are resting in that, if we are resting in that kind of security that he gives then what kind of possibilities does that open up with each other to actually follow up on these commands to love each other selflessly? And here's, we have to look at these examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus in that light, that these are possibilities the gospel gives us um, through the power of Jesus, not just to do on our own strength. Um, What do they look like? I mean, Timothy, we see this in terms of leadership. One, he was perfectly united with Paul. That doesn't mean they didn't argue or they didn't disagree, but they were united because they had the same interest. They had the same love of Christ. Their lives had been changed by Him and they wanted to see Him, uh, spread. And uh, how we would long for even our own leaders to be so united together because they're so, uh, concerned, uh, for the love of Christ in their own lives and the lives of others. And He was stepping into this Philippian church. Um, it took a lot of bravery because he was stepping into situations where there was mediation was needed and where there was criticism that was needed. Uh, There was patience that was needed. And he had to do this in a way um, where he wouldn't take it personally, but he would be able to offer the love of Jesus on their behalf, to be able to say the hard things um, and not be afraid of the response. But not only in just leadership, if you look at Epaphroditus, and I love this, this is interesting. He's We don't know a lot about him. Um, he's not an apostle. Uh, we don't know if he had a teaching ministry, but here he essentially is a delivery boy. Um, he is taking up a physical act of service for Paul who is in prison. He's delivering um, necessities to him so that his um, that he can live and he can thrive. And he does this, he gets sick along the way. And he perseveres even at risk of his own death for the sake of his partner and his friend Paul because he was likely in the same position. So Epaphroditus takes an act of service that not, unless Paul had said so, not many would even know about. Um, And what he says about him is he says, receive Epaphroditus. Paul says to receive him back and honor such men. He says to honor such people like this, not just those who are uh, up front, and who are writing letters, um, and who are speaking, but those who are undertaking just these simple acts of service, of laying down their lives uh, for the sake of other people. All this is only possible because of the security of the love of Christ uh, that he has given to us on the cross. And the only way that we can do that is if we also have the same security, that we can be resigned to his love, Uh, that we can open up ourselves to it and find our security there so that we actually can turn and serve. And that makes us ask, like with Timothy, um, can we listen to each other? Can we actually take uh, these words of instruction from each other Um, and from our leaders, from Epaphroditus? Who is the person even in our midst who is worthy of honor essentially because of the fact that they're invisible, and that they're doing a work of service um, uh, unnoticed. Who are these people who we need to honor? And I want to encourage us all to think about that, Um, and maybe even to put legs on that, um, and to give whoever that person is honor. The cross is the key to it all. It's not the end. The end is that we would see uh, the work of Christ actually bear fruit in our midst, and that comes out as unity. But it can only happen because of the cross because Jesus comes in to our self-interest and it interrupts it in a radical way. And the key to pursuing unity in the first place is to pursue Christ. He is able to defend you, he will humble you, and he will raise you up in the end. And because of that, we have hope to keep going in this work we've been given. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his gift. Thank you for his power. Uh, do a work in us, do a work in Red Mountain Church, that you truly would free us from our obsession with ourselves, uh, that we would be enraptured with the love of Christ, so that we truly would be able to see this fruit of unity and selfless service uh, uh, born here in our midst. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.